Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, December 11, 2013. Today we are reading from the Big Book in the Doctor's Opinion, page XXVI. We're starting on the second paragraph after the first letter, which starts out the doctor's, the doctor's theory that we have an allergy. Today's readers are, for the steps, Sarah, traditions do, and the text will be Sharon, Penny C., Fran, and Michelle. The reference number for Tuesday, December 10th, 2013, is 5608. That's 5608. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sarah to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Sarah, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Here are the steps as adapted for Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have a God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them, to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought to prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sarah. And I will now ask Du to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Du, um, newly recovered compulsive overeater. 
um, the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive reader who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facilities or outside enterprises, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA such as, as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is vital. Is a <clears throat> anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Pass. Thank you, Joe. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big, books of, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify ourselves as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page XXVI in the doctor's opinion, the second full paragraph after the first letter, which starts the doctor's theory that we have an allergy. I will ask Sean to begin reading. Good morning, Kim. Thank you for your service. Good morning to all who are on the line. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little. But as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. And this whole theory that we have an allergy 
to alcohol, we have a physical reaction. Something physical happens. I just in explanation, doc, this whole realization that we have a disease is critical. And I want to pause because there's a lot of noise in the background. Thank you. This this idea that we have an allergy is really Sharon, we lost you. Can you hit star one to unmute? Yes, yes. Thank you. So the doctor's theory is that we have an allergy to alcohol, that we have a physical allergy, and it's critical. This concept that we have an allergy of the body is really foundational to this recovery program. Dr. Bob, for years, had the steps. He He was a member of the Oxford group, and they had six steps. They were expanded to 12 for, uh, with, with uh, Bill. When Bill and Bob and, and the other the first 100 started working it out, they found that 12 was a better way for alcoholics to consider it and to get recovery. But Dr. Bob had steps. He had a fellowship, yet he couldn't get recovery. It wasn't until he came to understand that he had an allergy of the body that then, then he could begin to recover. And this is talked about in More About Alcoholics on page 30, where it talks about we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently may be has to be smashed. This concept, this idea of an allergy of the body, that our bodies are defective, they will never, it goes down further in in this paragraph, our bodies will never recover. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. And I was in the rooms for 10 years trying to recover control. It never happened. All I did was I went further and further down. I could not, I cannot take one bite or because my body is defective, my my mind is defective as well. But it's I have to come to understand that this is physical. It's not something that I'm going to uh, get my mind clear, get to some place where I'm going to be able to eat like other people. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control. Our minds felt clearer. We felt better physically. But such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less this is me, control. As a compulsive overeater, this is describing me exactly, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And I kept eating, and the, it, the, I, go, I just 
I would get sicker and sicker and sicker. My body was falling apart. And I would still do the insane thing and eat. I have an allergy of the body that drives me, drives me to that first. It clings to that next bite. And until I put the food down, 100% we talked about yesterday, as a compulsive overeater, no real compulsive overeater ever regains control, never. And every experiment leads to failure. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. And who else would like to comment on what was read? Marjorie. This is Katie from Boston. Okay, we got Marjorie. We got Katie from Boston. I know I heard Leah, but there was someone between Leah and Katie. Leanne. Leanne. Okay. Thank you, Leanne. Okay, so we're going to go Marjorie, Katie, Leanne, and Leah. Go ahead, Marjorie. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Marjorie. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. This paragraph means a lot to me now, and it meant a lot to me throughout my – it has meant a lot to me throughout my years in recovery. The idea that I want to focus on is the doctor's theory. Between when I walked into my first OA meeting in January of 96, 1976 and when I finally became abstinent, recovered – in May of 1985, I came in contact with a lot of doctors who had a lot of theories. And this theory from the doctor, Dr. Silkworth, was just one more. Marjorie, we lost you. Can you hit star one? Marjorie, can you hit star can one you to Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. I can hear you now, Marjorie. Okay. Between January of 1976, when I walked into OA, and May of 1985, when I became continuously abstinent, when I began, when I began to be a recovered compulsive overeater, I came in contact with a lot of doctors and a lot of theories. They were mostly the doctors that I went to see who tried to help me. And so Dr. Silkworth's theory was just another one of those theories in that long line of theories that really didn't help me. But what made the difference for me is that I heard and saw the evidence in people around me. I began in the early 80s to go to workshops where there was a chicken farmer named Charlie, and there was a man who, if we'd been riding on the same bus, we would have both been compelled to ride in separate sections of the bus. His name was Joe. Those were the people who had the credibility to tell me that this idea of the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind really is more than just a theory, and here's the evidence in our lives, and why don't you experiment with it? It didn't matter to me how impressive medical credentials were. 
what really mattered to me was that I saw the evidence in other people. I saw it with people who had recovered from alcoholism, and I knew that that would apply to me and the food. Thanks for listening. I pass. Thank you, Marjorie. And Katie, you're up. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G., recovered uh, from Boston, Mass. Grateful to be here. Loving this doctor. So, um, for me, what did this mean? Well, you guys, in my adult life, I've been 228 pounds and I've been 110 pounds, which we all know is a symptom of many, many deeper problems, but it's also a symptom of this allergy, right? So um, I saw many doctors who said, be gentle, love yourself, have a little bit of something, or I'd go to these diet places and I'd buy their foods and their foods still had certain substances in them that set up an uncontrollable craving for more. So what did that mean? So I'd be counting my points or doing this, and I would put this one thing of one thing that they said I should just be able to have, and an entire box later, I'm still eating. And I'm like, who ate the box? What happened here? I should have been able to just have one, right? Or, um, you know, uh, you know, the doctors would say, oh, you know, you know, treat yourself. It's okay. You don't have to to not have one. And the and that allergy sets up this me as a distinct entity where, you know, in college I would be um, fantasizing about the desserts and I would have a little bit, of just a little bite of one thing and I would be going down after dinner with a bag, filling the bag with more cake to go upstairs to eat it. That is an abnormal reaction when I put that food into my body. And for me, it doesn't matter if it's real or if it's fake. I mean, I used to chew $500 worth of, of gum a month because it set up an abnormal, and this is just for me, this isn't everybody else, but an abnormal craving. And so what that meant is there, that I would sit on the couch, hand to mouth, hand to mouth with gum, spitting it into bags. The, and, and then I would have um, really unfortunate consequences that I won't vocalize over 100 people, but that led me to be in the bathroom for an entire night, having an abnormal reaction to sugar, and, and, I, and I couldn't stop. And the craziness is I had a mind that could rationalize and justify it. Well, at least I'm not doing this. At least I'm not doing that. You know, it's said that, okay, when you're at 110 pounds, now you can eat more. And a year later, I'm 228 pounds. The allergy prevents me from ever being normal, forever having any sort of balance. I can never use certain foods and engage in certain food behaviors because they light up my life in the way that God lights up my life today. And I am so grateful that the best thing that happens to me every day is a relationship with God as the result of the steps and not a relationship with the bags and the boxes because that's where this disease was bringing me. Whether I was in the United States, whether I was in Malawi, Africa, binging my brains out, it did not matter when I put that food into my body. I cannot stop. It doesn't matter if you're my mom. I'm going to run through you to get more. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. And Leanne, you're next. Hi, Leanne. Recovered for today in Florida. And I just wanted to share an experience that proved to me that, that everything the big book says about once, an ad, once a food addict, always a food addict. And I, too, um, was locked up for quite a while. Um, I was put in the hospital for anorexia back in 89. I was 74 pounds. 
at five six, and I was going down. And in the hospital, they they gave me shakes and things like that with all these ingredients in it. And I, as soon as I had that first one, I'll never forget the electric sparks that went off inside my body. I was so amazed that I was drinking this thing with, it was like heaven. And the entire time I was locked up in there, I obsessed. I couldn't wait. I had to have them at 10, 3, and 9. No, 10, 3, and 7. And the entire time I was in there, which was several months, I obsessed about 10 o'clock and 3 o'clock and 9 o'clock or 7 o'clock. And when I was finally out, I had to go into a day program, um, I went right to the store and I bought two cases of this drink. And then I would come back for aftercare and they had the best whole wheat bread I ever tasted in my life. And I would steal it. I would um, go in the cafeteria and ask for extra pieces. And, you know, just because I was locked up and I didn't have access to the amount I wanted in the hospital, it showed me that my brain, you know, the obsession was just beyond. I couldn't concentrate on anything. I couldn't wait till 10 o'clock came and then 3 o'clock. And then so, so it showed me that really the obsession of the mind. And then once I was released, there was immediate relapse. I couldn't handle any of that stuff in my body. And I could never, I, I just never had any recovery. They try to treat, you know, anorexia, um, like try to make us eat like a normal person, which was what every dietitian told me my whole life, and it just never worked. So it's just proof, you know. And and two, you know, I would have periods of time where this is before the hospital, where I maybe have six months where I could eat normally. Like I had some like a period of time where I was eating. How long does that really last? You know, if I hear somebody say that they can handle different types of food. Um, sugar and flour on a normal basis. How long? You know, give them give them a year. Does it last a year? You know, um, I know for me, being a true food addict, never it, it could never get. I would never last a year. And some people maybe could last two years, but eventually it will it will bite you um, if you're a true compulsive overeater. And um, I don't know. I just wanted to share that experience. It really proved to me, even being locked up. The obsession of the mind overtook me. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne. And Leah, you're next. Thanks so much, Kim, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Thank you, God, for this material. What does allergy mean? Allergy is an abnormal reaction to a food, a beverage. Um, you know, we, when we think of allergy, we often think of sneezing, itching, vomiting, uh, but it's any abnormal reaction. You know, in Dr. So- William Silkworth's um, work um, with alcoholics, he found that when an alcoholic took even a little bit of alcohol into his system, this switch went on inside the alcoholic's body and only one thing that the alcoholic wanted to do, and that was to drink more alcohol. This was Dr. William Silkworth's observation. When an alcoholic took even a little bit of alcohol into his system, a switch went on inside that person's body, and that alcoholic wanted to do only one thing, and that was to pursue more alcohol. 
and he would continue to drink and drink and drink, and of course he would get drunk, and the alcoholic was powerless over this once that switch turned on. He had no choice but to continue to drink. That was Dr. William Silkworth's theory. And you know what? When I reviewed my eating history after someone cracked open these pages and developed this for me, I could identify certain substances that had the same effect on me. It wasn't about taste sensation. You know, when I reviewed my history and I, uh, for instance, you know, at age three, um, ingesting an entire bottle of St. Joseph baby aspirin because I liked, there was an effect that was going on. And as I looked back in my eating history, I could identify certain substances that had the same effect on me, just like the alcoholic. Not just about a taste sensation. When I ate certain foods, my body was triggered, and I would eat more and more and more of that substance. And I would stop feeling, and I would stop thinking, and I would get numbed out. And I just acted by eating more and more until I was anesthetized, sedated, drunk. I had to learn that certain foods had this physical effect on me, that I am biologically mandated to react to certain substances. I have a drug effect. I have this problem. It is a bad problem. I happen to have a worse problem than that, actually, of course. That's the obsession of the mind. But first, I had to understand that I have a physical allergy, and allergy is any abnormal physical reaction to something. In my case, it's my binge foods. Once I start eating my binge food or indulging in binge eating behaviors, I find it almost impossible to stop eating. I had to understand that. I had to understand that, accept that. That was the beginning of this whole process because I had to identify what those substances were for me, for me. But it explains many things for which I could not otherwise account. Other people did not have this reaction necessarily. I have this reaction. I needed to understand who and what I was. I am bodily different from other people. And this was the first, uh, you know, um, teaching that I needed to really fully accept and understand. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Maya. Would anyone else like to comment on that paragraph? Melanie. Okay, Melanie. Was there someone behind Melanie or was it just an echo? Julie. Okay. So Julie's the echo. Okay, so it's Melanie and then Julie. Hi, thank you, Kim. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. And so I've identified and understand that's really, 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 really clearly important and passionately explained by Leah before. And what I wanted to point out here, for those that maybe it wasn't shared, is the way it looks in me. Um, there was a little bit of idea about different kinds of allergies and how it produces, you know, there's a rash, there's a swelling of the throat, you know, breathing problems, things of that nature. Mine says more. And an example of that, I love that, is uh, folks have gotten very passionate about that modeling today. And mine is um, two examples I would like to share here. One is years ago I was um, on a weight reduction plan, and, and part of that plan in those days um, they had this 
plan of eating these little tiny, I, I would call them candies, um, singly wrapped little square things. And uh, you take, the, take one in with a cup of hot tea and, and it makes you feel full. It expands in your stomach and makes you feel full. And there's about 220 in this little box of these things. One makes you feel full with one cup of tea. Melanie had the entire box with a cup of tea, did not feel full. I went searching for something more. That's the difference. An average person wouldn't do that. They would feel full and, and be satiated with one. I had 220 and I didn't. Jump ahead several, several years later, I am working in a police department, very, very, very busy police department in a 911 center, and um, things are very, very busy. I'm doing my job. I am a skilled operator here dealing with all kinds of very important, very serious emergencies, and I get a thought. And I am antsy, waiting for a moment for a break in the phone calls in order to get up and to satisfy that thought. And I'm getting agitated. I'm getting agitated with folks on the phone. I'm getting agitated with folks on the radio. And the thought doesn't stop. And I can't explain why. And as soon as there is just a split second, I am up out of that seat when I should not be in this huge building going in and out of different office offices. It's going to be the patrol offices. It's going to be the sergeant's office. It's going to be the lieutenant's office. And then I'm going to go to the captain's office. And then before the time is out, and I should be back at my desk because I hear radios all over the place and it is crazy traffic downstairs. Um, I am in the chief of police office and I am going through desks. Not only is it illegal, not only will I possibly lose my job, I'm a single parent of one child and I will lose my job and they will prosecute me for stealing. I am in these people's drawers, desks, cabinets, looking for things, grabbing what I can, going quickly to the next one if I don't find something satisfying. And it would be great if it were all the lovely things that I wanted and was thinking about that I was going to have. But I was eating cough drops, antacid tablets, rotten food. I mean, it wasn't even the food. I was eating things, that just shoving stuff in my mouth, and I couldn't stop. That's not the average work. And that was a response to something in my body that I could not stop. And when I heard and read that it was an allergy and it was explained this way, oh, my gosh, I was off the hook. There was an explanation to it. And that when that was put down and the steps were done and it was gone, I have been free. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim. Thank you, Melanie. And Julie, you're next. Hi, this is Julie, a overeater. And, um, you know, this paragraph, I wish I would have known this when I was a child, when I started to overeat and try the many, many diets, because diets will work until they don't. And for me, it was when I would take that first bite. And I never understood that concept until I came to OA in 81. And it was somewhat explained. But still, it didn't make the sense that Dr. Silkworth explains so eloquently in this chapter. Um, every time that I had a year or two years of abstinence, it all started with me picking up a piece of whatever or uh, having a behavior that I, you know, volume eating or whatever, it didn't matter. And I would always get face down into the food. 
I'm always thinking that maybe this time it wasn't gonna re- I wasn't gonna react that way, but I forget that I'm mental defective and I'm gonna always react differently. Um, I had almost three years of of abstinence. Again, I was not recovered um, at all, but I was just thin, and I had a thought that I was gonna go eat at a Chinese restaurant. Here I am, still in program, um, not recovered. And I go to a Chinese restaurant, which I hadn't gone to for three years, maintaining 150-pound weight loss, and I binged and purged in their bathroom. That's the allergy. I have absolutely no control of what will happen once I ingest any of my alcoholic foods. And um, I was off and running for about two and a half years until I came back a year ago, November. Um, It will always happen to me. Anytime I pick up those foods that I've identified or those behaviors, um, because that's who I am. I am an addict. And when you have an allergy to something, if you're allergic to bees, if you're diabetic and you need to take your medicine, it, you just don't recover from that. You have to take your medicine. And my medicine is living these 12 steps. Um, and I am very fortunate that I have a doctor who understands this. I had wanted to go and get the surgery to, um, about a year and a half ago because I just felt I was hopeless. And he told me to go back to OA. So, um, yeah, this doctor was um, a saint. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. And Penny C., do you want to read the next paragraph? Good morning. Penny C. here, com- recovered compulsive overeater in Boston. Though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he has been a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. When I see about, you know, we favor hospitalization, I think about when I was um, a very young nurse many years ago, and I remember uh, very, very, very obese people coming into the hospital, and the way they were treated for the obesity is simply that they were kept in the hospital, and what they ate was very, very strictly uh, guided. And um, you know the family was warned: don't bring don't bring anything in that we don't have on this food plan for them. And you know somehow somehow because the compulsion and, and the 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 um, obsession of the mind was so great, these people somehow got it, no matter how. And we were we were we were baffled to realize that they weren't losing any weight despite the fact that there they were kept in, in the room, you know, watched, watched so, so diligently. And that was the only treatment that, the only kind of hospitalization that was offered in those days for someone with a disease like ours. And I'm just, you know, really grateful when I hear about people who have been able to go to institutions that are now designed for people like us where they can kind of get a you know a jump start on their recovery 
And for many people, many, many people, that's the beginning of their recovery. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Penny. And who would like to comment on the paragraph that was just read? Laura? Good morning. Can I heard Laura. Can I share? Okay, I heard Laura and then Leia and then Bella. Laura, you'll go first. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. Good morning, everyone. This is Laura W., recovered in South Jersey. I'll be brief. I just wanted to, um, what this sentence in this paragraph jumps out to me is that it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. And what that reminds me of is there's so many times back in the disease where I really, really, really wanted to get better. I was starving myself, binging, purging, I, but I didn't want to do it. It wasn't working for me anymore. It was only doing things to me. It, it, it wasn't doing things for me anymore. But the food has to be down first before I can begin working the steps and living a spiritual life. Because it, for me, my experience is I would get on my knees and pray every day, please, God, please don't let me eat this today. Please, please, please. This program is not for those of us who, who want it. It's not for those of us who need it. It's for those of us who work it. And I've come to realize that unless I do the footwork every single day, I will not stay recovered. And, you know, so the food has to be down first before we can approach a newcomer or we can, you know, start working the steps with a newcomer. Um, I work with a lot of people who, who have slipped and, sli- you know, slipping and sliding and whatever that means, but, you know, who make that conscious choice to pick up and, and say, but I really, you know, I really want it, I really want it. And, and I believe them, they really want it. But, you know, their mind is not in a place where they can accept it and, and work it when we keep picking up. So that's, that's what that word is, imperative, crucial. I mean, absolutely crucial. Thanks for letting me share. Pass. Thank you, Laura. Leia, you're next. Thank you so much. I wanted to jump in there. Very important information here. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. And again, imperative meaning crucial or necessary. I don't know where the message got, uh, you know, very confusing in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, You know, the substances that I'm allergic to have to be eliminated prior to me embarking on the program of recovery. I mean, it doesn't seem hard to wrap around our brain the idea that an alcoholic has to stop drinking prior to applying the steps. It would be absurd to think of an alcoholic writing a four-step inventory while still taking sips off his bottle. But somehow that has not translated in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I, you know, the substances that I'm allergic to had to be eliminated because only then am I dealing with the absolute most dangerous part of my illness, which is my mind. And suddenly it's a race against time uh, for me to get through these steps so that that obsession of the mind can be expelled. You know, for someone like me, a real compulsive overeater, there is only one master, and that is either going to be addiction or God. If I am still engaging in my binge foods, then I will not be available or honest 
or open-minded enough or willing enough to pursue the spiritual remedy through the application of these steps. Only when the food is down and I feel like the heat is on do I have the sense of urgency that's necessary to go through the steps. Now, we all know that alcoholics oftentimes need a bit of help with detoxing, and sometimes they you know, admit themselves into a unit to dry out. That's common. Um, you know, I had to do that for myself with, in regard to compulsive overeating. I did admit myself into a facility uh, which allowed me to be separated from my binge foods. I needed that to happen for myself. Not everybody needs that. I have housed people for a couple of weeks who needed to be separated from their binge foods. Um, I, you know, when I got out of rehab, I spent a few weeks with someone who was recovered in order to continue um, with that support of separation from my binge foods. This is very, very important. I don't know where the message got out there that somehow while still binging, we can apply these steps. I was part of that uh, whole uh, theory from 1982 to 1987, and, you know, (laughs) that was not working. That was not working. It's very clear. The big book's very clear that we have to be separated from our substances prior to embarking on the spiritual journey. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Bella, you're next. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful recover compulsive overreader. Thank you, Kim, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. Wow, I love this paragraph because it's a... It's a beginning of a, of a hope. It's a beginning of recovery. It's a beginning of a new life. And yes, thank God, thank God, I, I, it, it gives me a, the right and the proof to exit, to go out from my own jail, to go out from my dead end life. A life of binging and eating and blaming and judging and trying to stop and getting worse. It was a dead end. It, it was a miserable life, a life that there is no solution. And thank God, thank God it's a miracle that, yes, we have now a new life. It's an approval from a doctor that it's nothing to do with me. This is the way I was born, and I have an allergy in the body and an obsession in the mind. And like other kind of allergies, so yes, I am not allowed to eat those trigger foods. I am not allowed to eat uh, the flour and the sugar, but it, and it's okay. I just need to learn what to eat instead. And now I know that it's not what to eat instead. It's all about to build my connection to God. This is my solution, and this is my recovery. And I got, like, permission to accept myself the way I am and to, to, to put my all effort not in my failures and not in my weakness point and not about my uh, character defect, to, to build myself according to my qualities. And, yes, 
I got a gift from God, uh, some qualities, and this is now my my job to to accept myself the bad part and the good part, and uh, to be able when I will be able to accept myself when I know that I am an agent of God. I am doing God's will and not my will, and I learn to accept myself and. To be respectful, I want to be respectful. Respectful, to learn to respect myself and to respect others, to 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 love myself and to be able to love others. <coughs> Sorry, and this is my solution. This is the recovery to build up my connection to God, to bring God into my life 24/7. Thank you very much for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And who else would like to comment on the paragraph read? Yes, I'm like... Hilda from South Florida. Um, I'm low. I heard, I heard South Florida. Your name? Hilda. Yeah, Hilda from South Florida. Hilda? Say hi, Hilda. Thank you so much. Um, I guess I just want to, like, say something for myself today. Um, because I've, you know, about bringing God into my life, um, and also I'm bringing him into my life more and more, and I'm really, really happy that I'm able to do that and grateful to God that I'm able to bring him into my life. Um, I also am am bringing him into my food to pray to make the right decisions, because if I were to do this on my own will, I would be binging every day, several times a day. So um, to me, it's really... Um, because I can't do it on my own and I completely surrender that I can't, uh, my my abstinence is praying to God to give me the um, the ability, the strength, the guidance so I can, you know, be healthy with my body to make the right choices for my mind and my body and my soul. Um, thank you, and I'm so glad. To, you, know, you guys, I, I get up in the morning and I get, like, down, and as soon as I get on this meeting... I feel hopeful and strong again and, and uh, focused and centered and peaceful. Thank you so much for being there in your service. With that, I pass. Thank you, Hilda. And who also like to comment? I hear you, Devorah. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning, everyone. This is Devorah in New Jersey. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, everyone, for being here. I'm recovered compulsive overheater. Thank you, God. And this just brings to mind, you know, how often I wish, you know, put me in the hospital, lock me up. You know, even as a child, I would say, oh, I was just, put me in a camp. I wish I can go to a camp that would just, like, take care of this whole eating thing. You know, I, I, you know, I couldn't, it wasn't available. I couldn't do it. But that was my thing. I just wanted someone to take care of this for me, you know, not knowing that I had an allergy, not knowing, you know, the the, the whole what was wrong with me, you know, the physical allergy, the mental obsession. I just said, oh, they locked me up. That's going to take care of my whole issue here. And, you know, I got that wish like 14 years ago um, when I was at my, at my heaviest point in my life and I was pregnant and the doctor put me in the hospital to regulate my uh, diabetes and blood pressure. And I was watched like a hawk. Um, the food that came in, the food that, you know, they, they were watching me because they were checking my sugars and all the time. And, you know, 
Um, but I still didn't understand. I didn't know. I didn't know that I had an obsession and an allergy. It's it's never until I got into program. And honestly, it took two years being in program till I was introduced to this idea, <laughs> this fact that I have an allergy, and then everything fell into place. But that's why I couldn't stop. You know, after every, you know, I just had to keep going. And I couldn't just have one. You know, I have a cousin. Um, She'll take a half of a cookie. She takes a half and puts the other one down. And I always were in awe of that. Like, wow, how does she do that? You know, today I know because she's not me. She doesn't have this allergy. Um, and it's so, I'm so grateful to know who I am today. I'm not like the woman who I was sitting next to yesterday at a wedding who says, yeah, all I need to do, I don't, I, I just, I follow the OA plan. I don't know what, what she knows about an OA plan, but I follow the OA plan, and I eat three meals a day, and that's, that's enough for me. You know, I'm okay. And, you know, I chuckle to myself because she's not, she's not me. You know, she's following some kind of food diet. She's following a diet, and that works for her, and God, God bless her. Um, and she can have whatever she has, you know, whenever. Um, but, you know, so grateful that I know who I am today. I have an allergy to the body, an obsession to the mind, and I have a solution today. Thank you, God, with, the, with this book and working the steps and with God's guidance and help and your, you, all you being there, you know, it's another day I can have of, of being free from this obsession and this allergy. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Savori. Anyone else want to comment on this paragraph? Well, I'll take an opportunity to um, jump in there. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It is imperative that a man's brain be cleared. You know, we're not going to be told just once. We're going to be told four times in this doctor's opinion that we need to have the substance down. We need to have the food down. Why? It says before he is approached because he has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. If we are still in the food, if we are still getting that effect that the food gives us, why would we want to pursue a spiritual program? We're getting that effect from the food. The reason that I am an alcoholic, I mean, I am a compulsive overeater, is because I have this allergy of the body that once it's triggered, my body demands I have more. But that in and of itself, once I had the food down, the allergy's gone, I would not want any more. The hard part is once that allergy is down, I have this obsession of the mind that's going to want me to go back to the food because my true problem is being abstinent. My true problem is that I am so uncomfortable being abstinent and the only solution I know is to pick up the food and unfortunately, I'm allergic to that food. So it's imperative I have it down so I have a better chance, a better chance of understanding and accepting what this book has to offer. And I know for myself and what I heard in the rooms when I came in in 94, part of that confusion was, oh, gosh, I wish I was an alcoholic. After all, an alcoholic just has to not drink. I have to eat. I have a tiger in a cage, and I have to bring it out three times a day, and it's just not fair. And that's not true. Alcoholics have to drink. They drink water. They drink soda. They drink juice. They just don't 
drink alcohol. It is the same with me. Of course I eat, but I do not eat my binge foods. I do not eat those foods or participate in those behaviors that create this allergy, that create this phenomenon of craving. And therefore, I am the same as an alcoholic. That's what we have to understand, is that we are no different. This allergy, which we have to certain substances, is no different than the alcoholic. And just like Leah was saying, it, it, it seems insane for an alcoholic to say, well, I'm going to keep drinking while I work these steps, and then I'm going to get a relationship with God and I'll stop drinking. And yet that is what I hear over and over and over. If I could get access to God in the food, I would have done it years ago. I would have done it years ago. The problem is, even though I know there's a God and I know the answer is a higher power, I cannot get access to that power because I put my ego and I put food between me and God. So how am I going to get rid of that? I have to put the food down to get the clarity of thought so that I can remove those blockages, those absolute blockages that stop me from having access to that power. I prayed every night in high school. I prayed every night for God to make me a size 14 because I didn't want to shop in the big girl stores anymore. I never asked God to help me stop eating. I didn't understand that it was the allergy that was driving me. And I thought only if I can have enough willpower and I get down to a certain size, I will be okay. It's the willpower that I need. If I could have the willpower, like my friend Melissa, who has a half a piece of cake and stops, I would be okay. What I didn't realize is my friend Melissa doesn't have any willpower. She is satisfied with the half a piece of cake. Why is that? Because she doesn't have an allergy. My allergy doesn't allow me to enjoy a half a piece of cake. What happens is I ingest that food and the urgency, the absolute urgency to ingest more and more becomes more intense and more intense and more intense. I have to recognize that I am wired differently. The way that I experience my binge foods is not the way that other people experience those same foods. When I am extremely thirsty and I come home and I have a glass of water, it's, it's so satisfying and I often do not finish the glass because once my thirst is satisfied, I am done. I have never had that experience with the food. And that is what the allergy means. The allergy means my physical response is that once I ingest it, I become less and less satisfied. And if that is my experience, and in a room of 10 people, only two people experience that the way I do, that means I have an allergy. That means I have an abnormal reaction. If 8 out of 10 people are like my friend Melissa, that can have a half a slice of cake and be done with it, normal reaction. The fact that I am unable to do that without this phenomenon of craving means that I have an abnormal reaction. And that is why it is imperative. Imperative means absolutely necessary, required, a command. And we're going to hear this three more times in this chapter. And unfortunately, we hardly, we hardly ever hear it in the rooms. It is imperative, imperative that a main, man's brain be cleared before he is approached and he is, has then has a better chance of understanding and accepting 
I need to accept this. I need to fully concede to my innermost self that this is my reality. This is my disability. And with that, I pass. And it's now time to close the meeting. So um, let's see. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close the, with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Um, Fran, will you please read A Vision for You? Yes, good morning. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass.